Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Dana R. Dillard. Dr. Dana R. Dillard is an assistant professor at Mississippi State University and a licensed clinical social worker. She has over 20 years of practice experience that includes medical social work, school social work, and nonprofit program design and implementation. She became involved with the burn community and fire service during a service learning course in 2000 and developed an interest that drives her commitment to practice and research with these populations. Her experience spans the burn community to include recreational camp programs in both the United States and Canada, young adult retreats and family programs. She was also co-investigator on a $1 million substance abuse and mental health services administration grant titled the Northwest Florida First Responder Resiliency Project, also known as the Second Alarm Project. Dr. Dillard is an active member of the American Burn Association and serves as a co-chair on the Burn Survivor and Reintegration Psychosocial Special Interest Group Committee. She served as a board member for the International Association of Burn Camps for eight years and was the chair her final two years. She currently works with the International Association of Firefighters Foundation Burn Fund's annual youth leadership program in Washington, D.C., Her research areas include individual and systemic impact of burn injuries in relation to identity, aftercare, reintegration, and program development interventions. The fire service with attention to mental health suicide and program development interventions, the intersection of trauma, primary and vicarious, and identity, interprofessional education, and the recreational camp setting within social work practice. She has presented at several professional conferences, including American Burn Association Annual Program Meeting, Association of Baccalaureate Social Work Program Directors Annual Conference, Council on Social Work Education Annual Program Meeting, Gerontological Society of American Annual Conference, International Conference on Community Mental Health, and John A. Boswick Burn and Wound Care Symposium. National Association of Social Workers, Society for Social Work and Research, and Southeastern Psychological Association. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Dr. Dillard. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. (laughs) Wow, Dr. Dillard. First and foremost, thank you for the work that you do in this arena. I can only imagine how difficult yet rewarding this work must be. Before we get into your personal social work journey, are you able to share a story about the work that you do? Um, Sure. Uh, kind of a, a quick story without going into too much of that background. Um, I think uh, this is one that always stands out to me as a moment where a lot of things gelled and the things that I learned in school and what some of those supervisors told me when I was in internships came together. And I was... Um, attending uh, a program. It's a conference for um, individuals that have experienced burn injuries, their families, allied health providers. And so I was um, 
in this unique opportunity to be kind of in the minority within that population, because in in the past um, with the camp programs, there had been so many volunteers that we outnumbered the kiddos. And so I'm at this conference with probably, you know, 12, 1400 people, the majority of whom have experienced a burn injury. And I was really nervous because I had always worked with kids and this really had more of an adult population. And so the conference um, was taking place um, up in Canada. And I remember coming through the lobby. And so I'm already kind of just, you know, it's my first time there and trying to figure out what my role is going to be and how I fit into this and if I belong and all the things. And um, I remember seeing a woman who was sitting off kind of off on a bench or a couch, something there in the lobby. And she was just crying, like really hard, like not just a tear, but like a, a, a deep sob. And everyone around was just kind of looking at her. Um, and I just had this visceral response to go and just sit down next to her. And I sat with her while she continued to, you know, cry. And I just let her cry and and do whatever she needed to do, um, and just sat with her, never saying a word, right? Just kind of hoping she felt my support and the proximity of my space to her. Um, and I helped her, uh, you know, when she kind of got herself together, um, I asked if I could help get her up to her hotel room. Um, again, this conference is very emotive um, for individuals that have experienced these burn traumas. So I helped just get her up to her room because she was a little disoriented. Um, and the next day, I remember seeing her, but I didn't want to draw attention to that, like, oh, you know, um, and I just kind of waited. And she came over and approached me and said, are you the woman that sat with me yesterday in the lobby? And I said, yeah, I was. And she said, you were my angel in that moment. And um that to me is when all the things clicked about really not needing to have the words, but just being with people in the space and the emotion that they're in and that that frequently can just, that that can be enough, right? We don't always have to be thinking about what to say or our response to something or fixing it, but just providing support in the space that they're in. So I just remember I was, probably, I think that was 2008. So it was probably even seven years after I graduated with my master's degree. And it just felt like a little bit of some weight lifted off my shoulders and just being like, oh, okay, this is really what it means to kind of be in the space. Seems like I should have learned that sooner, but you know, that it just was this final, it was kind of this epiphany for me that that really is what that means, you know? So yeah, I hope that's uh, an okay story. That was a powerful story. That was a powerful story. And I do, we have so many, I know you are at the university setting and I have the honor of supervising um, social workers who are newer in their career. And that is one of the things that we talk about is the power of silence. But so many of our social workers are so uncomfortable mm -hmm. sitting in silence with our clients. And so you being able to share that story says to them, it is okay mm -hmm. to just sit in silence. You don't have to offer the tissue. It will be nope. there when they're ready, but just to sit in silence with your 
with your person. She wasn't even your client, no, but just no. with your person. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a very powerful story. Thank you. And thank sure. you for doing that with her. Yeah. That, that was beautiful. Dr. Dillard, I'm ready. I want to hear because okay. your bio is amazing. I, I want to hear from the beginning about your social work journey and how you got into this specific arena of yeah. social work. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am my father and grandmother's child. And so I don't know how to tell a short story, which um, so I will try to do the best I can to condense it. But um, so I uh, was a psychology undergrad and so didn't really know anything about social work initially. Um, but during my senior year, I uh, had an opportunity to, through a social psychology class that I was taking, we um, really, the, the core course requirement was to spend a certain number of hours on a behavior, local behavioral health unit, just volunteering, right? Just kind of getting exposure. And the gentleman that ran the behavioral health unit was um, an LCSW. And I had no idea what an LCSW was. And so um, he was running the groups and doing individual sessions. And those were all the things that I initially really thought I wanted to do as a psychology undergrad, um, because I was considering pursuing a PhD in clinical site, right? So... um, I sat down and he kind of talked with me about social work. And at the point that I was on my own educational journey, it didn't make sense for me to change majors, but it opened my eye up to a master's in social work. So I took a year off um, just with the timing and then went back to pursue my master's in social work, having no idea what I really kind of wanted to do. But, you know, taking classes in grief and loss and um, healthcare, and just trying to expose myself to, you know, as many different kinds of things as I could. And my um, my first year, at the end of my first year of the program, um, one of my professors who later became a dear friend and mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Nancy Rothenberg, um, she had a class. It was like a sheet of paper on her wooden office door with a pencil on a string taped to it that was sign up if you were interested in um, a Maymaster course, which involved attending a week-long camp for kids with burn injuries. And so, again, not knowing kind of the direction of, um, you know, my career and seeming that seemed like a fun way to get class credit I just signed up for the class and had no idea what I was getting myself in for, you know, or into. I had never attended camp as a child. Um, I certainly didn't know anything about burn victims or burn survivors or burn injured, all these different kind of, you know, um, terms that were used. But I just thought it would be a fun way to, you know, get a class credit. So um, our cohort that year in 2000, so I was in the initial cohort of students, were about 30 students. And so Dr. Rothenberg was a very innovative um, professor. She always had a lot of ideas thinking outside the box. And so the connection to how this even came to be was that she had a family member out in California who had experienced a burn injury in childhood And her family ended up going on to develop a burn foundation. Um, And so she just thought, well, I'll see if there's anything like this in Georgia and reached out to the Georgia Firefighters Burn Foundation 
and said, hey, I've got social work students. Like, what can we do to partner with you guys? And they either she saw the camp or they suggested camp. But either way, it came to be like, let's have students go to camp. So I went that first year terrified of what I might say or do or look all the, you know, things wrong. Um, But literally within moments of the large charter buses of kids arriving and them getting off the bus, throwing water balloons or running up to hug volunteers that they had known from years past. um, I just kind of had a moment where I was like, oh, they're just, they're kids. They're kids who have had an experience, right? I don't know what, the, I don't have a, a lot of history or background with that experience, but at the end of the day, they're kids, right? So I um, absolutely fell in love with the residential camp setting, that overnight camp setting. And I went on the, the next year and I graduated that spring, but Dr. Um, Rothenberg, who I'm just going to call Nancy, because that's how I really know her at this point point how I remember her. Nancy um, continued that class. And so I said, well, I signed up and I'm going to go back. And she was like, oh, maybe you can mentor the next group of students and, you know, kind of have a, you know, a little mini orientation with them. And so I would do that. And she, I would come back and then, you know, maybe if a one or two from each year would come back. Um, and so that program bringing students continued for a number of years. So over those years of me returning to camp, I just got I just became more and more interested in what this burn community is. Like who who are these people in the burn community, you know, um and just tried to do as much as I could with the organization. Uh, I called myself the volunteer who wouldn't go away cuz you know, I just kind of kept like, well, what else can I know? What else can I do? And um, helped as a volunteer to kind of establish some psychosocial components to the camp that had been lacking regarding addressing some of those needs that we could expect to see with with kids, number one, but then number two, a, a, you know, a medical trauma that they've experienced. So I was doing some of that as a volunteer. And then in 2007, Um, the executive director asked me, essentially, he lured me away from my, um, from my job as a school social worker and uh, offered me the position as the programs director for that statewide nonprofit. And so when I accepted that position, I was responsible for burn camp as one of the programs And then uh, a number of the other programs that we either had at the time or subsequently developed, uh, including a family program, a young adult retreat. Um, We worked with the fire service to do some prevention and education with the hospitals for outreach and aftercare type things. So really, the short version of how I got in the burn community was an elective in a class that I just took a chance on, right? Um. Along that journey, so I graduated in 2001, my first like real social work job was as a medical social worker in a healthcare system in Atlanta, where I worked as the um, social worker for the neonatal intensive care unit, mother, baby, labor and delivery, peds, and the kids ER, the children's ER. 
So that was actually my concentration practicum during my master's program. At least that's what we called those things back in the in the day, <laughs> back when I got my master's. So it's where I had done my practicum. They had a position open up and I was able to, to start with them in August after I graduated. So I did that for three or four years-ish. And then through some community work I was doing, I met a school social worker who said, hey, we've got an opening. And that seemed like an interesting kind of pivot for me to kind of explore another opportunity of social work. So it was kind of during that window of time where my full-time job was either medical social work or as a school social worker, I would continue to be volunteering with the Georgia Firefighters Burn Foundation. And then that's when um, they asked me to come and serve as the programs director. So that shifted in 2008, I believe, 2007 or 2008, um, where that became my full-time job. And I stayed with them through 2019 when I finished my um, doctoral studies at the University of Georgia. So um, while I was doing this work at the Byrne Foundation, as any practitioner knows, because this is where we see the, you know, the, the partnering up of these things that are, you know, research-informed practice and practice-informed research, where there were just areas of work or program development or program evaluation within the burn community that I just felt like were missing or gaps or questions that I had when I would try to go to the literature to think about how we can develop programs or what are some things to think about. So um, all signs just kind of pointed in the direction of the, the PhD. Um, as well as I had started teaching adjunct at a university. And at that point in time, had about 14, 13 or 14 years in the field and found it really exciting to get social work students excited about what this uh, field and career and profession has to offer. So yeah, so between the enjoyment of teaching, between my questions that I had that, um, you know, I think really created a research agenda for me. Uh, it just seemed like getting my PhD was what all the signs were pointing towards. So in 2014, I started the PhD program at Georgia while I was still working at the Byrne Foundation. So I was doing both at the same time, which was challenging. <laughs> but, you know, you just do what you can and focus on each day. And so I finished um, and then have been working in higher education. I'm at my second university, um, but really enjoyed teaching and have been able to be part of some great research projects and um, the grant that you mentioned as well. So um, I think that covers most of it. But if you have um, some questions or follow up things, I'll let you chime in and see. Uh, what that questions was amazing, Dana, Dr. Dillard. That was Amazing. Um, and yeah, you did such a great job. Oh, <laughs> you well, did a great you. job. <laughs> but you. I do, I did write some notes. And so I yeah, do have some follow. And maybe we'll get to all of them. Maybe okay. we won't. I think I want to start with volunteering. You know, as you know, the NASW uh really, you know, expresses guidelines for us as social workers to offer our services pro bono. And the fact that you were able to volunteer and then that led to this illustrious career. 
you know, I so often encourage social workers to volunteer. My first job that I ever had was because I was volunteering. It didn't lead to that. <laughs> right, right. But I love that the fact that you were volunteering, even though you were working full time, is what opened this door. Well, so many things, but it's part of what opened this door for you. So mm -hmm. do you want to speak to the importance of volunteering? Well, I, I think that, you know, to the point of that you said initially, I think that's part of what we as professional social workers do. It's kind of built into um, our code of ethics and our, you know, kind of our practice mindset and that and that sort of thing. And but beyond that, which is certainly a critical piece, the, th the thing about volunteering that I try to talk to students or new kind of younger, um, you know, social work professionals is that it really creates a space for you to try out a lot of different arenas for you to see what might be a good fit, right? Like what's the shoe that suddenly feels the most comfortable for you to walk in, in terms of, oh, I really thought I liked working with kids, but maybe I realize I just like hanging out with my niece and nephew and I don't really want to do this work all the time. It might be too much for me. Or, you know, I didn't know that I would like working with older people, um, but through this nursing home or whatever, I learned that that's a real strength and skill set that I have. So I think it it kind of has a couple different veins that it's able to um, to offer as well as, what I think any seasoned social work professional knows, which is the power of networking and connections, right? Like none of us are doing this work alone or in a vacuum or a silo. It's all about building those relationships and connecting with others. So for me, it's kind of that trifecta of meeting our code of ethics and our obligation to the to the profession um, exposing ourselves to opportunities that might either be strengths or areas that that maybe we don't feel as uh, quite as good of a fit. Um, and then the last one, which what did I just say the last one was? Networking. Networking. Yes, thank you. So yeah, so I I I I can't I I I can never um overemphasize, I guess, with my students. And aside from that, really that piece of just taking a chance, like leaning in to things that you don't know whether you're going to like it or not. When I went to camp that first week, you know, I also, I mean, just to be a little bit um, maybe selfish potentially, but that was my first time ever away. It was my birthday over that week. And I remember it being like a big deal, like this was going to be the first time that I was not with my family on my birthday and feeling a little conflicted about that. And, you know, I just took a chance regardless. And if I hadn't taken that chance, I have no idea where my career would have gone, the amazing opportunities I've had and relationships that I've established um, that I just, I can't imagine my life not having in them. So, yeah. I love that. And, and, and you know what? I'm going to call you Dana, if that's okay. Yes, please um, call me Dana. Yeah. Please. I'm like, because I've seen Dana on your name right here. Yes, no, please do. Please do. <laughs> Reverence to Dr. Dillard, but if we're just this conversation, I'm going to call you Dana. Yes. One of the things that I love um, is that in so many arena, areas, especially early on in your career, you kept taking a chance. You went 
and worked with medical social work. You, you know, you met a school social worker and like, well, I love my job with PEDS, but let me take a chance over here. I'm a volunteer. And then the, you know, CEO, whoever it was, offered you this program director job and you're like, oh, I'm going to take a chance. And you keep taking these chances. Mm-hmm. You are speaking my love language first and foremost, because I'm always like, take that risk, take that jump, take that leap. And you've done that so many different times. One of the things I wrote down is you, especially when you first went to the burn camp, you didn't, ha- you said you didn't have any history or background and like, what, what am I going to offer is kind of the energy that I was leaning into. What can I offer when I don't have history or background? And I often hear that so much from younger social workers who are like, well, you know, I, why am I applying for that job? Or why, again, I'm not volunteering in that space if I don't have history or background. And I often say, you can't get any history or background. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> if you right? don't take that chance and go ahead and apply and or volunteer. I would love to hear your thoughts on, I don't have history or background, but do it anyway. Yeah, and that is what I say. That's exactly what I say now. Um And if I, of course, could go back and talk to, you know, younger Dana, um, I would say that very same thing, Uh, fortunately. And it's interesting that you say I took all these chances because I, I, I guess they really were, but I'm so plan oriented and calculated that I think I thought them through so much. I didn't see them as taking chances, but really when I look back, it was. Um, So I, I think that that's I think that's another part that we um and I say we when I think of myself as an emerging social work professional when I was in graduate school signing up for that I think you know those are the things that we get hung up on like having this sense of feeling like we need to have all the words that silence is bad um that we need to have all the experience that we need to have all the answers that we need to have that style that all of our professors are talking to us about or supervisors, when in reality, we just need to create the spaces to give ourselves the opportunity and be graceful as we fall into line with learning all of that stuff. Um, And so that, again, is I think another big piece of what I hope to impart on you know, the students that I teach now, which are all undergraduate level students, but really trying to get them out of their comfort zone because that's kind of what social work is, right? Like you're not going to get an experience without trying, you know, so I think it's a critical part of it, but I think I see our role as either educators or in the role that you're in of just kind of providing those little nudges to help people lean into that so that hopefully they come to a realization as well. Absolutely. And I want to just kind of piggyback on that. You said giving yourself grace. And I want to say, as you're taking these chances, as you don't have history or background, giving, you know, social workers, give yourself grace and compassion just as much as you would give your clients Mm -hmm. that we're not going to get it perfect because, you know, we deal with some high achievers. They think they got to get it right and get it perfect, but you're just as human as your client is. And so giving yourself grace and compassion as you navigate these new world, these newer waters Mm -hmm. as well. Right. Yeah. My last question in regards to your journey, I think it's the last question in regards to your journey is, and I, I forgot her, Dr. Dr. Rothenberg, Nancy. Yeah. Nancy. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
she was so, I love, I wrote the word down innovative, right? She was so innovative. And so I guess it's a two-part question. In what, in what ways are you living out her legacy of innovation? And in, were you able, when you became the program director over all of these programs in the Burn community, to be able to create innovative ways to bring social workers into that, into that space? Um, so I'll start with that one first, and then you'll have to remind me of the first one. Cause I feel like my mind already starts answering one. So, um, when I worked at the Byrne foundation, uh, the piece with social work students coming to camp every year continued up through 2013. So it was 14 years that social work students came and participated in the week long summer camp. Because Nancy was such an innovative thinker um, and she would do things for a while and then be like, okay, what else can I do, right? She kind of passed the torch to um, a, a friend and colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Stacey Colomer, who's at the University of North Carolina um, in Wilmington. And when, when uh, Stacy came on board, She's kind of looking at it through a new perspective as a faculty member. I'm new-ish in this role as programs director. So we um, thought through some different things to do, right? So rather than only have um, undergraduate students, we opened the program, the volunteer piece up to graduate and undergraduate. And, uh, and then what were some more structured learning activities as opposed to a more reflective type exercise. You know, before the graduate students came to camp, they would build out um, at that. By that time, we had started, took a long time to get there. But by that time, we had been able to start some formal what we called talk times or peer support sessions that um, I was helping to co-facilitate for the kids that were at camp which were a journey in and of itself um, to get there. But she would have students think of like, well, what are some icebreakers that you could do with kids this age and that age? So we did kind of take what Nancy had established as a foundation and put a couple of different, you know, twists and turns on it for the students, um, which was really neat. So it, like I said, it continued for 14 years, um, which was a really long time. And there were probably... When the when that component ended, it was kind of a result of where we were at as an organization with looking at our volunteer numbers, given the new um, facility that we were using and trying to be good stewards of resources, realizing we might have been top heavy with volunteers and so having to kind of cut back on some things. But that was 14 years that there were social work students that came through and Probably at the end of that 14 years, we probably had anywhere from a dozen to 20 students who maybe returned off and on throughout those years. Um, so, yeah, so I think that that piece, even though Nancy transitioned to another program, we tried to keep her sense of innovation up with what we could offer students and kind of a, 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 a different way, but maybe even um, a more intentional way, specific, particularly I think at the graduate level where they're wanting to like do more kinds of things, right? Um, 
so then I think the first part of your question was the full circle with Nancy. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. Now so, that you're an academic. Yeah. So I have to tell you, this is something I think about a lot. Um, when I started working at the Byrne Foundation, I was only the second social worker that they'd ever had um, there. And really, that was a direct result of our involvement with the camp program, because the first social worker had also come to camp. So I thought like, oh, this will be my moment that I feel full circle, right? Like I started as a student volunteering and now I work at the organization. And it did for a while. And then when I had the opportunity to go back to school for my PhD, I thought, oh, well, now this will maybe feel full, a bit more first full circle for me because Nancy had her PhD she wrote one of my letters of recommendation for the doctoral program and kind of getting into kind of that caliber, that, you know, elevation where I saw her as a mentor started to feel full circle. Um, and then that didn't really. And then when I started teaching, I thought that that would. So this is what I think I've decided is going to be my full circle is kind of a uh, all of those things combined with an opportunity for me to involve a group of students with the burn community some way because then I will have worked with the organization, acquired these credentials to be at a you know a university as a professor like Nancy was, and then introduce students in an impactful way to the burn community in the same way that she did. So that's my new kind of full circle. And I have my eye on um, a class, kind of an, a community engaged class that I want to do with them, not this fall, but the next fall um, that I'm going to try to work towards uh, developing here at the university. So I think about it all the time. Um, and like I said, Nancy and I became great friends over the years. She, um, she passed away the fall that I started my PhD program. So I was very sad that she wasn't kind of there to see me finish, but um, her friendship and mentorship was a real gift to me um, over the years. So yeah, forever grateful. I remember messaging her my first day adjunct teaching and, you know, her words of advice and just the little nudges that she would give me along the way. So um, yeah, so that's what I'm hoping is to have the same kind of impact with um, a student that she had with me while also combining that with uh, the burn community. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Dana, that was absolutely beautiful. And I think that's it. I do in honor of her, right. Uh -huh. In honor of her. Yeah. And wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm just in having a moment with you. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. Oh, Nancy. In fact, you can't see it, but um, she served on our board of directors for a number of years at the Byrne Foundation. And at the time when board of directors would, um, like when their terms were up, uh, we would give them a gift of like a collage or something. Mm -hmm. And so I helped pull pictures of, because Nancy would come to camp with the students for, mm -hmm. you know, as long as she was involved. Um, and so I pulled the pictures to make a collage for her, you know, appreciation gift when her time was up on the board. And I had kept a relationship with the School of Social Work at Georgia, just 
kind of by way of my work with her and then Stacy. So when Nancy passed, um, they saved that picture that the collage and it's actually hanging on my wall right here. So it's the collage of like her at camp and several shots of me and her um, that I have hanging in my office that, you know, keeps me feeling a little connected to her too. Yeah. Dana, you're absolutely, because the word I wrote is legacy. You're absolutely carrying her legacy and what a beautiful life. Yeah. What a beautiful life. Oh, that was so good. Thank you. Sure. I'm going to transition away from your social work journey. Okay. And ask the next question. Yes. Dana, one of the reasons I started this podcast was to promote the importance of being in community with other social workers. Mm-hmm. What social work communities do you belong to or have created? And what have you learned about yourself regarding being in those communities? Um, so I think on a formal level, I can speak to community involvement. And then I think what we all know is we have these kind of informal communities that we develop, right? So for me, formally, I remain um, a member of the NASW. And um, so that one has always been important to me. Uh, I'm also a member kind of by way of being a part of an undergraduate social work program with the baccalaureate program directors group, which focuses kind of on those educational initiatives and opportunities for um, our undergrad students. I am the advisor and, or I'm an advisor and also a member of the Phi Alpha Honor Society, which is the honor society for um, social work students based where they're invited based on their standing within the social work class. And then they have um, some community engagement volunteer hour type things that they um, meet uh, before graduation. So I help facilitate that. Those are probably, and then of course, to me, being part of a a faculty at a social work program, that is community for me. So I think, and even beyond where I am, but colleagues that I have at my previous institution. So that like social work education or educator community is there. And then very much so a community of other social workers within the burn community. Um, And there are not that many of us out there. Uh, And I, I probably, and I apologize that I'm just now thinking of this. I probably should have explained what I mean when I say burn community. I realize I sometimes get ahead of myself. So when I say burn community, I am talking about um, individuals that have been impacted by a burn injury, their family members and caregivers. I'm also talking about the first responders, the fire service professionals that are responding to those calls um, who might also become burn injured as a result of the line of duty that they're in. And then, of course, our medical and allied health professionals that are working within that context. So doctors, nurses, PT, OT, speech, dietary, all of those that are really specialized in burns, right? So when I say burn community, I kind of lump all of those things in um, as, as the one. But within that burn community, there's kind of this niche of 
uh, of social workers that are either working at nonprofits at burn foundations or are working in the acute setting of a burn center. And so there are, you know, a group of us that over my, you know, 20 years of working in the in the burn community, um, I've been able to connect with and have some good kind of resources in those colleagues to bounce things off of or consult about programs or policies or um, just debrief on, you know, various things. So that would be more informal, but to me, like a critically important piece of the work that I've done because there's not that many of us and there's so much to know about burns and so many people that just don't know about them, right? So we kind of tap into each other as um, as resources as much as we can. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the informal communities are just as important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, you know, I could ask you so many questions, but I am going to ask this one question. How can we expand the social work impact in the burn community? Is that possible? Something you've thought about? Um, it is something I have thought about. Um, and really, to me, one of the ways that I feel like I have kind of the most immediate sense of impact is opportunities like this, where I have mm-hmm. a chance to um, talk about my work in the burn community and maybe introduce um, a population of listeners or others that didn't know about burn injuries or that this would be an area and to maybe have them consider, you know, wherever they live, there might be, there may or may not, but there might be a burn foundation in your area or a burn center that you could volunteer Um, I think about in the same vein, my work with students, being able to talk about my practice experience and my research for that exposure. So um, kind of, I guess, my own personal platform is just to use any opportunity I can to provide some kind of awareness that this population exists and that as in as in anything with social work, we can create a, a space for um, for our skills that we bring to the table as professionals, right? So, um, so I think it's really just kind of like with anything. The first part is really creating that I think awareness that something is even out there and exists. Yeah. Absolutely. I told you before we met until I read your bio and got to meet you. I didn't even know we were in that arena. I had, it was one. I loved how you said it was hidden. And yeah. until I met you now, I feel very much more aware. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you coming and talking to us today about it because I've been doing this for 24 years and didn't know mm-hmm. that um, we were in that arena. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, right? Because when I've had chances to go and either talk to, you know, other like guest lectures of other classes or opportunities here or there, um, more often than not, what happens is somebody comes up to me afterward and says, me, someone in my family, someone I know, and I've never heard anybody talk about this. Um, And it's interesting, right? Because it's not really so much a stigma with 
with the exception of individuals that might have the physical scarring that's going to create some of those aesthetic changes that might, you know, create some disparity in treatment and things of that nature. But I think it's just more people don't really, I guess they just don't really think about it unless it happens. And I, I remember at some point during like early on in my PhD work where somebody was like, you're off, you're in an, a, a very like niche area. Like, is that, are you sure that's what you want to do? And I'm like, so are, are you saying that the people that fall into this area are not worthy or deserving of like the research and the program development? So I'm sorry that I didn't pick a popular subject, but to me, the need is equally as great, if not more so, if, if this is not something that everyone really kind of thinks about. So, yeah. Completely agree. Completely agree. Thank you yeah. again for doing this work. Dana, what is one belief about social work that has changed the most since you started this journey 20 years ago? Um. So this was the question that you sent me that I think I struggled with the most. And I feel like I might be a little bit non-compliant in how I answer, but bear with me. I can't really think of anything that has changed unless change involves the possibility of it strengthening, right? So I didn't start with something and then 20 years later have a completely opposite perspective on it. If anything, what I think has changed is more the the realization of many of the things that I learned, right? Like I think about the fluid nature of just society, policy, practice, right? We talk about that, but in my, in the educational context, but, you know, as I'm in the classroom and talking with other social workers, there's been a lot of change in the 20 plus years that I've been in the field. And I think naively, as a student, I would have thought that all of the change over that duration would have been in a positive direction. But if anything, it's just been fluid, right? Like we've seen with many different legislative um, changes, like Roe v. Wade, which of course is a really obvious one, and thinking how, oh, you can't ever get comfortable because the work is never done. And so we always have to stay on our toes. And so I think that my time in the career has just reinforced and reminded me that there really isn't any pause or break to what we do because the minute we get complacent is when um is when things can start to go awry. So I think that would probably be um one that's been really strongly reinforced and the other you kind of touched on a little bit briefly which is really the longer I'm in the field, the more obvious these intersections are between micro, meso, and macro, and of course, policy, practice, and research. When as a student, I thought, no, it can't really be as connected as they're making it seem, right? And now I don't know how to talk about one without talking about the other, right? So I think that even though I knew that or learned that it's just been reinforced in such a way that, you know, you can't unsee things um, or, or see them any differently. So, 
Yeah. I love your non-compliant answer. Okay. All right. Yes. Those are my favorite type of social workers. Let's be non-compliant. <laughs> that was great. Let us be non-compliant. That's how we create change. That was right. great. That was an awesome answer. Dana, as we wrap up our conversation today, and thank you again for coming on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. But, you know, we've talked a lot about, you kind of touched about, you touched on this a little bit earlier in our conversation, but you have created a safe space in an area of life and social work that is rarely talked about. What advice can you give social workers wanting to create a safe space for others that may be hidden? Um, I think the advice would be just do it, just lean into it. Be humble enough to know that you don't know all the things and be graceful with yourself when you trip up. Be willing to ask the the questions or have the uncomfortable conversations and do your homework and read and watch and try to learn and expose yourself to as many opportunities as you can, right? Um, you know, I was I was pretty lucky, I think, early on. Um, I say lucky, but then I think the older I get, the more I realize, like, it's probably just a part of who I am. So it was maybe going to happen anyways. But I, I met a couple of individuals um, in the burn community, burn survivors specifically, like big burns. Um, so large percentage of their total body surface area and more um, uh, like the degree was larger. So they go first, second, third and fourth. So you're talking larger percentage and maybe more that second, third and fourth degree burn. So some significant changes to functionality, to appearance. Um, and I just met a number of people who were really open books and were like, ask me anything you want to know, because the only way you're going to learn is by having these conversations. Right. And so um, you have, but you have to be willing to, you have to be willing to do the work as well. It's not a one way street. It's very much reciprocal. So that safe space doesn't come by way of you just entering a room, you have to humble yourself and be a student of that and also very intentionally reflective along the way. Um, so yeah, so it's not, it, it, you can't do it easy, right? It takes you getting uncomfortable, but I just think we can't, um, we can't ask communities, individuals, populations to be uncomfortable if we're not willing to, to do that ourselves. So, yeah. So good. So good. Dr. Diller, it has been such a pleasure getting to have you on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, I've enjoyed it. I love any chance to give a shout out to social work. So yes, thank yeah. you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.